0: Heavy Metal Historian is looking into doing a few episodes in which we look at future metal bands. So, if you're an unsigned or independent metal outfit and you're interested in having your music played on one of those episodes, get in touch with us, metalpodcast666 at gmail.com, on Twitter at metalpodcast666, or over at our Facebook page. Reach out to us. We'd love to hear your music. Previously on Heavy Metal Historian... We inspected the influence of subgenres such as crossover thrash and gent, and we looked into underground fan followings. On this episode, amalgamating the experimentalism of avant-garde rock with the emerging electronica coming out of Europe, industrial music would rise to later evolve into a broad range of offshoots, including industrial metal. Examining the genre made famous by Nine Inch Nails and Ministry, we turned back the clock to examine where it all derived from. From the kraut rock of Ashra Temple and Tangerine Dream to the experimental work of Frank Zappa and Captain Beefheart to the post-punk nuttiness of Devo, we investigate the origins of industrial metal. Welcome to episode 27. I'm Greg Davies, your heavy metal historian. In the 90s, the days of thrash and glam metal were gone and had been replaced by the newfound popularity of grunge and alternative metal. But as scenes moved, another new style of metal began gaining traction, becoming a viable alternative to that which was popular, industrial metal. But although Ministry and Nine Inch Nails had their huge commercial breakthroughs in the 1990s, industrial as a standalone genre, had been going for quite some time. In fact, its origins can be traced back to the mid-70s. For many metalheads, though, the 1992 release of Psalm 69 by Ministry and 1994's Downward Spiral by Nine Inch Nails was the first time that they'd heard anything like it. It's important to highlight at this point that for the metal of the 80s, keyboards and electronica were out completely out totally out if there were any similarities between glam and thrash it was guitars drums long hair and high volume but no electronic keyboards because it just wasn't the done thing now of course there were exceptions to the rule glam bands succumbed to the trend of power ballads during the 1980s which made use of keyboards and eddie van halen also dabbled with the instrument on songs like jump and why can't this be love But outside of these examples, despite the anti-keyboard's attitude displayed publicly, the popular bands of the day used them extensively in live shows. KISS hired a keyboardist by the name of Gary Corbett who added ambiance and atmosphere to their songs in concert. He was hidden from view, though, and never ever considered a band member. As far as the band was concerned, he was a salaried crew member and was not ever to be seen publicly. KISS weren't the only band that employed this practice. Bon Jovi, Motley Crue, Poison, and others also hired keyboardists to work for them, unseen for their live shows to flesh out their sound. But publicly, they were anti-electronic and anti-keyboard, and any implication they used keyboards was seen as an embarrassment for some strange reason. But with bands like Ministry and Nine Inch Nails showing up in the early 90s, you had this new perspective being propagated. As strange as it may sound, the idea that you could successfully merge electronic music and keyboards with metal guitars was unthinkable to fans at that time, even though the industrial scene had been blooming for more than a decade. But what made Ministry and Nails so different was that they were at the forefront and the beginnings of industrial metal. I
1: hurt myself today to see
0: The primary industrial music genre was the key inspiration for these bands, but where did industrial itself come from? What were the genres and influences that gave birth to it? To comprehend industrial metal, we have to understand industrial music, and to understand industrial music we need to know what the key inspirations for forging that scene together were. Customarily here on Heavy Metal Historian, we try to go chronologically insofar as explaining how genres came to be. But with industrial music and industrial metal, the inspirations and swaying factors are so varied and at different points in time. We're going to try and take a look at a varied swath of elements that went towards forming these unique styles, so you may find we'll be jumping back and forth a bit in time on this episode. But at any rate, it begins like with progressive music in the study of philosophy. While the early prog artists embraced and examined elements of morality explored by the likes of Socrates and Plato, the musicians that would begin industrial music read more into the works of Nietzsche. Friedrich Nietzsche was a scholar of many disciplines, but he was most well known for his philosophical writings. He often depicted these with irony and metaphor, sometimes in the form of poetry, the man was a deep thinker, and his 19th century works were incredibly powerful in modernist and postmodernist thinking, regions within which industrial fits quite snugly. Nietzsche explored concepts that evoke strong reactions, such as his searching into the concept of how good and bad became good and evil, or his exposition into the death of God. Away from Nietzsche's philosophies, writings from the 20th century were of great significance to the future industrial musicians, especially William S. Burroughs. A primary of the beat generation, Burroughs also explored postmodernism and began writing at an early age. His works were largely autobiographical, and in some cases provocative and scandalous, as were the works of his peers, such as Jack Kerak and Allen Ginsberg, who, incidentally, would actually move on to record his own musings accompanied with music.
1: Said the presidential skeleton, I won't sign the bill. Said the speaker skeleton, yes you will. Said the representative skeleton, I object. Said the supreme court skeleton, what do you expect? ’ care for the poor, said the Son of God Age needs cure. Said the
0: Musically speaking though, the inspirations on industrial would begin with world music, an all-encompassing genre title that covers traditional folk, tribal, and some contemporary music from non western sources. The industrial musicians found great inspiration in music from traditional Balinese, Javanese, African, and Tibetan cultures among many others. The core line of industrial began and found its roots in exploring music other than what was dominant in the Western world. It fostered an exploration into things that were dissimilar from the popular and new to their perspectives, and also, sometimes, foreign. (laughs) This naturally leads us to jazz. While blues held heavy sway over rock and roll and early metal, it was jazz that held comparable sway over early industrial. The depth of improvised exploration by artists in the jazz scene was of significance to the future industrial artists. It fostered awe at the great potential in the sounds that was also felt by the future progressive musicians too. Of the jazz greats, industrial musicians cite many influences, the most distinguished of which were John Coltrane and Miles Davis. From world music and jazz into modern rock and roll, the next source of impact to the early industrialists was that of artists from the psychedelic scene. Jimi Hendrix was held in high regard, but bands that bridged the gap between psychedelica and progressive were also of key stimulus as well, such as Pink Floyd. But the 1960s and early 1970s held another style that was of far more influence to the first industrial musicians, the experimental and avant-garde of the time. Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention were focal points to their attention, as was Captain Beefheart and his iconic yet unusual album, Trout Mask Replica.
1: Hoy, hoy! <laughs> He galloped off into the moonbeams. She pulled up her blouse and compared her navel to the moon. I did my life.
0: From here, the early industrial musicians also found some validity in the music of early metal. The darker and esoteric explorations of Black Sabbath, Uriah Heap, Led Zeppelin, Blue Cheer and Deep Purple were all of great consequence and would contribute greatly to the developing scene. But it was with punk rock in which industrial would find huge relevance. The incorporation of a provocative, rebellious or revolutionary anti-establishment brashness was of major importance to the developing style. and. A component of this still exists in the genetic template of industrial to this day.
1: If you steal, I don't feel like no heal When I'm born, said I'm born Yeah, I'm born, I'm born to kill I am born, yeah, I'm born No, I'm born, well, I'm born to kill 't oh, my bag.
0: And don't my greatly from early punk, the Goth subculture that emerged during the 80s was also hugely relevant to the industrialists. The monochromatic imagery was often incorporated into the performances of industrial musicians. Outside of the visuals, though, music by the likes of The Cure, Susie and the Banshees, and Bauhaus was also considered vital. But musically speaking, conceivably the most significant stimulus on industrial overall was the exploration of electronic experimentalism in the Kraut rock scene of the 60s and the 70s coming out of Germany. Ashra Temple laid claim to defining what was considered to be ambient space rock, exploring cosmic ideas through a sonic legacy. Tangerine Dream, on the other hand, were hugely stirring, being one of the first bands to explore electronic music exclusively, driven by the creative impulses of musicians like Edgar Froese and Klaus Schultz. Early electronic music away from the krautrock scene was also held in high regard. The work of the BBC Radiophonic Workshop on things like atmospheric and scenic music, as well as the Doctor Who theme song, were all prominent. Electronic art musicians like Jean-Michel Jarre and Vangelis were also powerful forces that impacted industrial music. As were progressive multi-instrumentalists like Mike Oldfield. Out of electronic music and kraut Rock emerged one band that would be the linchpin and turning point. In industrial music overall, Kraftwerk. Formed in 1970 in Germany, the group stayed strictly with with electronic instrumentation, often even singing through vocoders. Kraftwerk are considered pioneers in the field of electronic music and were a chief influence towards industrial. Philosophy, writings, art, and music all were of major encouragement to industrial music. There was one other area that was of weight as well. Noise. Contemporary industrial music incorporates ambient noise to a great degree, often with sound effects or even clips from movies. Of considerable significance was that industrial noise. The sounds of industries and factories often penetrated industrial music. The ground zero of this stimulus was Lou Reed's very strange metal machine music album. Reed's release was an early example of noise music with no recognisable structure, but the elucidation of that industrial noise through experimental instrumentation. Outside of the music and the noise, other genres began contributing to the list of influences on industrial music. New Wave, tailing the footsteps of punk, was of importance, with music from artists such as The Buggles, Blondie, and Talking Heads all being significant. Synth pop was also imperative, with groups like Soft Cell and Depeche Mode. From out of New Wave and synth pop, though, came an artist that would be a dominant force that would affect future industrial metal artists. Gary Newman. First a part of the band Tubeway Army, Newman later moved on to a solo career exploring concepts of science fiction, industrialism, futurism, androids and robots in his work. With songs like Our Friends Electric, Gary Newman imparted a solid guidance that would be of key stimulus to the future industrial metal bands. In actual fact, Fear Factory covered his song Cars in 1999, with Gary Newman himself joining them on vocals. Influences of industrial metal permeated throughout into the 1980s, industrial music itself was the central influence, and that actually began in the 1970s. And the instigators of industrial as we know it were a band by the name of Throbbing Gristle. Founded out of art rock, the band is seen as the founders of the genre formed in 1975. The group aimed to confront their crowds with their noise rock music accompanied with disturbing imagery, juxtaposing pornographic photos with images of Nazi concentration camps. Rather than trying to offend, the intent was to breed contemplation and deep thought or analysis by exploring the darker side of humanity. The band broke up in 1981 but reformed in the 2000s, continuing their explorations into industrial music. The industrial scene established by throbbing gristle among others was a journey into artwork and experimentation it was noise and exploration into unmelodiousness the originators of the scene cited that a shift in foundation was needed for rock and roll Piorich from throbbing gristle highlighted that rock had come from a legacy of the blues which came from slavery and felt that another foundation was needed he and the other pioneers of the genre found it in the victorian era the industrial revolution The investigation into noise was a huge part of this. Industry had pervaded culture throughout the world by this point, and incorporating ambience and sounds into the music was an approach by which the bands could accomplish this. Like the blues having its sources in slave music, of man being shackled by man, Industrial looked at a different form of modern slavery, of man being shackled to machine. Industrial music was mainly an abstract art permeating with social commentary. In many ways, it was like the audio version of the Verdadism art form, hard-edged painting searching for that which lies between theory and truth. Besides looking to the present by means of social commentary, and looking to the past of the Industrial Revolution and Verdadism art, industrial music also looked to the future. The early pioneers of the industrial music scene and the derivative subgenres that would follow, including industrial metal, were all keen students of futurism, which fed directly into the imagery of the bands. Industrial music and its future offshoots lent itself strongly to a lot of visuals. Goth subculture was an obvious attachment, as we've already mentioned, but the bands from industrial music, industrial rock, and industrial metal would likewise find connections with cyberpunk on one hand and steampunk on another. The cyberpunk effects would come much later in the history of industrial and would be exceedingly noticeable when used in film, particularly science fiction epics of dystopian perspectives. To goth, to cyberpunk, industrial would also come full circle with steampunk. It was the best of both worlds, futuristic, and yet part of the past with tinges of that industrial revolution look. Many bands would personify the steampunk imagery and stylizations, both visually and musically. Indeed, the style itself has spawned its own musical genre as well. However, there are industrial musicians that explored some steampunk visuals and sounds. Thomas Dolby's early material most undoubtedly qualifies as a proto steampunk style, but in recent years it was most conspicuously represented by Dr. Steele in the 2000s.
1: Do you know exactly what your family would do if an attack came? Say at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. (laughs) Thing I can do to build the robots, build the robots.
0: Going back to the original industrial music scene, back in the days of Throbbing Gristle and the other innovators of the style, the music was lyrically challenging and explicit, disturbing and deliberately offensive. Along with the harsh visuals, it took a cue from the shock rock antics of Screaming Jay Hawkins, Alice Cooper and Kiss by provoking thought and reaction through negative and positive spectacle, and this is what Throbbing Gristle did well. Outside of Throbbing Gristle though, there were other artists that contributed to the early industrial music scene. Cabaret Voltaire were also considered pioneers formed out of Sheffield in England. Like TG, Cabaret Voltaire were profoundly influenced by art, notably the Dada movement, and evolved into merging industrial with pop and experimenting with early techno and dub. Attrition was likewise another band of importance from that early industrial movement. Formed in Coventry in 1980, the band originated purely as an electronic act, however transitioned into incorporating industrial elements with darkwave sensibilities. While they developed their own musical identity, Attrition was tremendously inspirational to the future industrial metal movement. They are known for songs such as Waste Not Want More, You Will Remember Nothing and Cosmetic Citizen. While industrial music was most definitely the central inspiration, the future of industrial metal drew on a lot more. And as the 1980s dawned, two styles dominated the attention of these future groups, thrash and hardcore. Hardcore punk was of considerable encouragement, with bands like The Exploited, Black Flag and Crass being central, as were groups of the anarcho-punk scene. But thrash metal was just as vital. Bands like Metallica, Slayer and Overkill were crucial groups that impelled a lot of the industrial metal artists, while the work of early Sepultura was correspondingly just as important. Other essential bands included Uncle Slam, Sacred Reich, Demolition Hammer and Rigor Mortis. In 1980, things were beginning to transition from the experimentalism of early industrial and into the future genre known as industrial metal. Early post-punk artists that bordered on the strange, the odd and the weird were valuable such as with Devo. Although they had their early beginnings in the 1970s, Devo came to success at the start of the 80s. The band incorporated elements of science fiction and surrealism into their act, all big influences on industrial, but musically added a synth-pop sound that would be essential to the development of future industrial. called Big Black began affecting the future industrial metalers as well. White House pioneered the power electronics movement, while the experimental noise rock of Swans was of specific notability for the future musicians of the industrial scene. Multi-instrumentalist Brian Eno was also of importance, spanning a vast range of genres with a deep musical exploration into electronic possibilities. Meanwhile, Killing Joke began to merge the styles of industrial and metal together, along with elements of post-punk and new wave, creating a unique style that would continue to evolve throughout their career. In the of the 80s, heavy metal was being dominated by the popularity of glam metal, and the alternative underground of thrash became of viable relevance to the headbangers of the time. But elsewhere, musicians were beginning to merge electronic music with metal, and industrial music was beginning to rise as a feasible and sustainable influence on musicians, also swayed by metal. As Killing Joke were transitioning from an early new wave feel to a metallic-fused industrial sound, KMFDM surfaced in 1984 as an art project that also evolved into industrial. The young gods began touching on the new industrial sound as well. And then, there was Ministry. Born by Al Jorgensen, Ministry began in 1981 primarily as an electronic group that was heavily motivated by the likes of Kraftwerk and Gary Newman. Their early works were very synth-pop, with new wave predispositions, but Jorgensen was searching for something more. And he found it when he incorporated metal-like guitar work on the album The Land of Rape and Honey. After recruiting rigor mortis guitarist Mike Scatchia in 1990, Jorgensen hit upon the iconic industrial metal sound. In 1992, they released their most successful album of all time, and it would catapult industrial metal into becoming a viable genre that could stand on its own. Psalm 69. Ministry's arrival on the scene and their eventual perfection of the industrial metal sound was the indicator that post-industrial had arrived. A new generation of artists was emerging with a variety of new subgenres. The early pioneering work of industrial music has since stemmed into many offshoots, including ambient industrial, power noise, power electronics, EBM, industrial hip-hop, neo-folk, japanoise, witch house, and industrial rock. And by 1993, The term industrial was used to include and describe the original industrial music, the new industrial rock, and the rising industrial metal. Meanwhile, the impact of the original industrial music, the transitional work of Killing Joke, and the pioneering efforts of ministry began persuading more musicians into the scene. Godflesh popped up in the late 1980s, merging elements of goth with metal, but deeply entrenched in industrial. And a young musician by the name of Trent Reznor began foundational steps into a lengthy and influential career with his 1989 project that he had dubbed The Nine Inch Nails. Industrial metal was starting to take off. More bands like Pigface, Chemlab, and 16Volt began emerging. The music started to become relevant to soundtracks and film, and the music began affecting a new generation of musicians. But that's the story of the rise of industrial metal, which we'll explore in another episode. Because now it's time for a prehistoric mosh. Many elements of the arts and entertainment went into inspiring the rise of industrial music in the 70s, but none more so than the krautrock movement of the 60s. Emerging from the sensibilities of psychedelica, the German-based musical movement was an adventure of experimentation. The bands of the scene were attempting to merge the sentiments of psychedelic rock with that of electronic music. These innovators of the genre considered themselves to be some sort of cosmic rock, a space rock movement if you will, pushing the boundaries of ambiance with their sound. One band that was of central key consequence to the scene was Ashra Temple. While their early material was guitar oriented, they later explored integration of electronic instrumentation into their own musical identity. Additionally, musician Klaus Schulz, who was a member of Tangerine Dream for a time, helped found and pioneer the band. As their time progressed, the outfit expanded into different names and forms, with founding guitarist Manuel Gotching basing his career on his work in Ashra Temple, and some of the material ending up sounding like proto-industrial works. From their 1975 album Les Brasseurs de Cristal, here's Silent Sauvage, let's take a listen. now, let's have a look at this week in Metal News. After weeks of rumour and speculation, it is official. Chris Adler from Lamb of God is playing drums on the new Megadeth album. At this point, it is unclear whether Adler is becoming an official member of Megadeth or whether he is simply guesting on the upcoming album. Official statements from Chris and the members of Megadeth neither confirm nor deny membership speculation, but they all confirm one thing. Chris Adler is the drummer on the new Megadeth album. It's been revealed that Jeff Hanneman will be making a posthumous appearance on the next Slayer album. Tom Araya confirmed in a recent interview that the process of writing and recording the album began sometime before Hanneman passed away, and the band were able to use some of his guitar work on one track on the album. The inclusion of the song is a fitting tribute to a man greatly missed by his fans. Metallica will be co-headlining this year's Lollapalooza with... Paul McCartney? Yes, indeed, the former Beatle will also hold a co-headline spot on the August Festival. Other bands on the bill include Florence and the Machine, Brand New, TV on the Radio, and Google Bordello. The lineup is a literal mix-up of styles and sounds. Lollapalooza will be held July 31st to August 2nd at Grant Park in Chicago. Black metal frontman Abbott, a.k.a. Olv Aikimo, has finally closed down the band Immortal and announced he will be working on a new project. Ikemo will be using his moniker Abbath as the name for the project, which appears to be a combination of a solo project with collaborations. Abbath is expected to have an announcement for a new album before the end of this year. According to a report from Blabbermouth via the Pulse of Radio, Trent Reznor is allegedly playing a major part in redesigning Apple's digital music app on iPhones and iPads. Apple recently acquired the Beats streaming service, and it's believed the company is creating a new service based on Beats and following in the steps of Spotify and Google Play Music. The New York Times also reported of Reznor's involvement, as music listeners are moving swiftly away from downloading music to streaming music. The decline of the Western Civilization trilogy is finally going to be getting the release it deserves, with a deluxe box set coming out this June. Directed by Pamela Spiris, the three movies examine the youth of Los Angeles across three decades, with the first following the hardcore scene in 1980, the second following the glam metal scene during the 80s, and finally the gutter punk scene at the end of the 1990s. The box set will be available in Blu-ray and DVD and is currently available for pre-order. Nashville Pussy is releasing a greatest hits album this May called 10 Years of Pussy. The album features 16 best-of tracks on one CD and a bonus CD featuring a recording of the band performing live in Nottingham in 2009. The compilation will be released May 12. Gene Simmons of Kiss is teaming up with WWE to make horror movies. The new partnership has launched Erebus Pictures, starting with a three-movie co-production deal. The first movie in the series is called Temple, which is written by Matt Savaloni. No release date has been specified at this point, but production is believed to begin in the summer. Bruce Dickinson has made his first public appearance following treatment for cancer, in which he is rockin' one mean mustache. The lead vocalist of Iron Maiden was present for the unveiling of the world's largest aircraft called the Hybrid Air Vehicle, dubbed Airlander. The HAV has been designed so that it can stay airborne for up to three weeks in missions, delivering tons of humanitarian aid. Photos of Dickinson's appearance can be seen over at Blabbermouth. And finally, Judas Priest are releasing a new line of coffee. (laughs) Partnering with Dark Matter Coffee, the group will be releasing British Steel Coffee for the month of April. Dedicated fans can get the brew because clearly this is what you drink when you've been living after midnight. Some of our news sources come from the Metal News subreddit and links for the news can be found in our show notes over at heavymetal666.com. Remember, you can share awesome metal news with us at any time by posting it over at reddit.com slash r slash metal news. On the next Heavy Metal Historian, we commence the examination of another eminent genre of metal, exploring the beginnings of what has become known as power metal. We turn back time and go back to look at the bands and artists that shaped the initial stages of the style. From Ronnie James Dio with his work in Black Sabbath, Rainbow and Dio, to the works of Judas Priest and Iron Maiden. From literature to history, we look into the origins of power. Subscribe to Heavy Metal Historian at iTunes or Stitcher. Follow us on Facebook or at Metal Podcast 666 on Twitter. Send us a message to metalpodcast666 at gmail.com if there's a subject you'd like Heavy Metal Historian to examine or report on, or if you have questions you would love for us to answer. You can also catch me with Aaron Chivara on the Blendover podcast, bringing you the news that the news isn't covering over at blendover.com. We'll catch you on the next Heavy Metal Historian, Hails and Horns. And until next time, out of all the groups we've discussed on this episode, if there was any that was the one to bridge the gap between industrial music and industrial metal, it would be Killing Joe. Coming from the post-punk new wave era of music, the group would eventually take on more of a metallic sound. In 1994, as industrial metal was breaking through, the group released the album Pandemonium, and on it was a song that signified their full transition into industrial metal. It was called Millennium, and here it is as our closing headbanger.